Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. We are also now on Patreon, so if you feel like you would like to support the show, I would really appreciate any donations you could make for the podcast through the Patreon page, which is linked up in the show notes. This episode's guest is Nick the Mad Scientist of Muscle Nielsen, of MadScientistOfMuscle.com, and of FitStep.com. For more than 25 years, Nick has been creating unique new exercises and training techniques and putting them together for some of the most innovative muscle building and fat loss programs available anywhere. To create these unique programs and exercises, Nick puts to work his degree in physical education covering advanced biomechanics, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology. When you put his exercises and programs to work, you'll immediately see and feel exactly how this combination of science, practical knowledge, thinking outside of the box, and just a little bit of insanity really mesh together to maximize every aspect of your training. Nick began his training career in high school as a 145-pound cross-country runner, basically an ectomorph, looking to build muscle and get bigger. Today, putting to work all of the unique techniques and exercises he's come up with, Nick weighs in at a rock solid 200 pounds and single digital body fat. It's according to Nick. These days, he uses his experience as a former skinny guy to help others build the bodies of their dreams, whether it be building muscle, losing fat, or both. He's helped literally thousands of people accomplish their goals and achieve results above and beyond the reach of more traditional programs. In addition to being published in a variety of magazines like Ironman, Muscle and Fitness and Maxim, and thousands of training websites across the internet, Nick is also the author of more than 20 bodybuilding books, including Metabolic Monsters, Muscle Explosion, 28 Days to Maximum Muscle, Metabolic Surge, Rapid Fat Loss, and the Best Exercises You've Never Heard Of series. For more information about Nick and his unique training methods and how they can help you build muscle, get ripped and crush exercise boredom forever, visit his websites that are linked up in the show notes, madscientistofmuscle.com and fitstep.com. On this episode, Nick and I discussed many topics like I do with every guest. We discussed Nick's background and his influences. What are the good and not so good things that Nick currently sees within the fitness profession? And what solutions would he offer for the not-so-good things that he is currently seeing? Nick shares his training philosophy and systems with us. Nick talks about how determining an individual's body type can help him in individualizing his program design for his clients. Nick talks about the manipulation and management of volume, intensity, and density over a lifter's career. Nick and I discuss maximum recoverable volume. Nick shares with us his favorite exercises to develop optimal hypertrophy for the entire body. Nick shares with us his biggest lessons so far in his career. And Nick also shares with us his top resources and advice for all of the listeners. Guys, this was a really outstanding episode with Nick, and I really hope you enjoy it. Okay, uh, Nick Nielsen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you come on to the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. Uh, Nick, just for the listeners who might be too familiar with who you are, just set for listening in the background. Yeah, uh, my name is Nick Nielsen. Uh, I'm known as the Med Scientist of Muscle because of 
basically the experimentation and the uh, unique training programs and exercises that I come up with. Uh, my focus is really on taking conventional and bringing it into the unconventional world, kind of crossing things over. I'm not specifically just for the purpose of making them crazy, but to make them much, much better. Like it straight to the point. No fucking yeah. around there. Yeah. So the mad scientist, how did you come up with that nickname? If, if you're in Ireland, we just call you a mad bastard, but the mad scientist. Was <laughs> I actually had uh, somebody give me that nickname once uh, because they saw what I was doing was not just, it's not just for the purpose of crazy, but I actually had some science behind what I was doing. Like I could actually explain, you know, biomechanically why what I was doing was better or physiologically or what have you. So it's not just like pulling stuff out of thin air, but it's like there is a rhyme and a reason. And I've got a background, science background and a degree in all this stuff. So it's like I'm a scientist, I'm crazy, and it's all about muscle. So so let's let's get a little bit deeper into your background. I, I know from listening to uh, three podcast episodes um, about yourself the last day or two, so one was on the Biohacking Secrets show, and then one was with Greg Ballantyne, and the other one was on the Zen Dude show. And I know in, in all three episodes you mentioned how much of an influence your father was because he had his own sort of gar- or a basement gym, and it was like we were talking about like was there was stuff made out of pipes and shit was just held together. And you know, you grew up in an environment where ah, this is normal to have your own sort of garage gym. Why does everyone have one of these? So, uh, just the qu- next question I'm gonna ask is, you know, maybe go a little bit deeper into the background in terms of like what led you into getting into exercise. You've an exercise science or exercise physiology degree, I believe, and then in terms yeah. in terms of influences on you both professionally as a coach and personally, Nick along with your father, obviously, who else has been big influences on you? Okay, cool, yeah. I've, uh, uh, when I first started exercising, like literally, like you were saying, my dad was really into it. I started doing sports when I was like three years old. So like literally right as soon as I was you know, almost able to walk, I've been you know, skiing, cross-country skiing, swimming, uh, the works, played a lot of soccer. Um, what really got me into the weight training was um, – I was a cross country runner for a long time and I got tired of being skinny. So I literally was like 145 pounds, five foot 10. So I had like 4% body fat or something ridiculous like that. Oh, can hell, that's and, skinny. That is skinny, man. Oh, I'm telling you, man. It's like literally you could see the line between upper and lower chest without flexing. It was like, that's how lean I was. It was ridiculous. And I got to the point where I didn't want to be skinny anymore. So my first year of weight training I discovered cafeteria food when I was going to college. And, uh, man, I tell you, I put on, I put on 75 pounds in my first eight months away from home. That's, did you say 78 pounds? Se- well, 75, yeah. I went from 145 to like 217 pounds in body Holy weight. Holy fuck. That's like a whole other human being. Literally, yeah. And, um, no drugs, just a lot of food. I was training six days a week, twice a day. Um, eating upwards of like 8,000 calories a day sometimes. And, um, being blessed with a huge appetite really helped with that. Mm. But, uh, you know, not all of it was muscle. It was probably about half and half muscle and fat. So it was a, it was a big, uh, dirty bulk essentially. Was it like we drink the, uh, by the way, 78 pounds, or I was thinking 78 kilo, that would, 78 pounds would be a whole human being, but it would be a large portion of a human being. But, uh, yeah. uh what was I going to say? Did, were you drinking a lot of milk entering at that time? Uh, I was chugging down milk. I, there's some days I literally would be have like eight meals a day, none of them small meals either. Fucking and, uh, hell. Just going around know. floating all the time. Were you, uh, were you doing the 20 rest squats at that stage? Or? I wasn't actually. I was doing, uh, when you go back to influences, I was doing this uh, Bulgarian burst kind of program from oh. Leo Costa. 
Yeah, so it was um, they had three different versions of it: a six-day, a two-a-day, six-day, and then a three-a-day, six-day. I didn't have time to do the three-a-day, but I did the two-a-day, six days a week for like four months, and it got me past the beginner gain phase. You know, where you get to a certain stage when you're a beginner, you can put on muscle pretty easily, and then after a few months, that ability tapers off. Well, this kind of took me to the next level from that. So I was able to continue building, building, and building from there. And, uh, yeah, literally I went to, you know, 75 75 pounds of body weight up and much, much stronger and, uh, you know, much fatter, unfortunately, too. (laughs) So just going off that there, your influence is going back to that. So there was your father. Is there any other sort of coaches or – you know, who's been a big influence on the way you think about training? Because on, on those podcasts I heard yesterday, you, you, you spoke about some of the concepts, the way you like to think about training. And to be honest, they kind of they kind of rang true to me in certain ways in that, like, how I see training. So you were speaking about certain methods where, like, you would kind of almost do these you, – you would almost, like, nearly – under or over train and under eat and you get this like rebound effect the next week then when you go back into higher calories and uh, like you know so like you were kind of mm-hmm. saying you nearly you nearly prime your body for a growth phase by like depleting it almost for a week i think you were saying you nearly go low carb and you nearly kind of de- desensitize your body to like high reps and you kind of maybe yeah. might do some more strength so that when you went back into a surplus and up maybe the, carb- the carbs or the calories and went into more higher training volume it was almost like the body had no choice but to grow. Like, so you like to, you really see this from more of like an organism sort of standpoint and really just like, you know, sets reps and sort of standardized program protocols. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of moving the whole body into where you want it to go as a unit. So in terms of uh, influences, uh, Leo Costa, the Bulgarian birth system was where I got the concept of the overtraining and the pulling back. Mm. Um, Mauro de Pasquale, the anabolic diet was where I got the uh, rebounding, you know, go from low carb to high carb and use the uh, insulin response in your body to basically force the issue hormonally with um, the reloading of, you know, the, uh, the carbohydrates into your, into your muscles, which also pulls a lot of water, which pulls a lot of nutrients into your muscles. Um, on top of that, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, anabolic burst system. It was in the muscle media that no longer exists, unfortunately, but uh, that was like 15, 20 years ago, which kind of led me into the massive deprivation, depletion, and then massive overload from there, which is, you know, you kind of put it all together. And uh, a lot of my training concepts in terms of uh, biomechanics comes from uh, Steve Holman, who was the um, editor of Iron Man magazine for quite a while. And uh, so it, it's basically I've taken a lot of influences from a lot of different uh, people and kind of mashed them up into my own concepts. And um, basically what I like to do is take what other people have worked with, see what makes it tick, kind of disassemble it like a watch, and then put the pieces together in the most effective means and manner that I can come together with scientifically from my background with that. And uh, And then on top of that, I like to – push it as far as I can <laughs> as well to see basically what the human body is capable of. So I'm kind of just piling everything on top of that to just really take things to the maximum. Say the Bulgarians go, the Bulgarian guy's name once more. Leo Costa Jr. Leo Costa Jr. That's a new name I'm going to fuck into. Yeah. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, he did a, a, another program with Tom Platts, which you're probably familiar with. Oh, yeah, everyone knows Tom, Tom and the quads. Woo! Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I did a program uh, of his, actually, and uh, that got me to a um, – a point where I got my highest high rep squat PR ever, which was 315 for 40 reps. 
Yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned it on the podcast. Uh, yeah. I think one of the guys was asking you, like, you know, what, what, what was there ever time you went into like a flow state or something like that? And you, I think you said you went over to the guy and said, uh, you might want to call, uh, or like you. You, you, like I'm gonna do something now, but you don't need to call an ambulance or anything. But just keep an eye on me. And you were saying you were saying like the first twenty reps were alright, and then twenty thirty was pretty horrible, and then just thirty to forty was just like the most brutal thing ever. Yeah, I, I don't honestly don't even remember much of the last ten reps other than just counting. And yeah, I, I told the monitor who was in the weight room said, you know, if I'm on the floor for a while, you know, just come check on me. Don't call the ambulance yet. But uh, I literally I couldn't get up for ten minutes after that. I just put everything I had into that and. Uh, it was ridiculous. I don't think I could ever do that again. That was just like a monster set. Yeah, it's, I uh, two years ago I, I did um, this body transformation program. It was uh, twelve. It was actually it's, it's it's meant to be. It's called the Amazing Twelve, but um, it's a twelve week program. It's designed by a Northern Irish fellow called Paul McElroy. Um, McElroy's pretty similar to yourself in that like he's kind of one of these hidden gems. Like he he'd be one like talking about Steve Justin and all these kind of you know, quote, quote, nearly underground sort of kind of guys who have all these, like, really, really, you know, unique methods. Um, mm-hmm. But, again, everyone's principles are almost the same, you know, but the, the, it's just the different methods people share. But in the – in the w- w- one of the things in that now, I don't want to say too much because it's kind of one of these problems you're, you're not meant to um, – you know, you're not meant to say too much about it. You have to sign documents mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But one okay. thing w- one thing you're doing is, is high rep squats, and towards the end of that – uh, what I previously would have squatted for five repetitions, was, which was about 120 kilo, I squatted for a set of 18, a set of 16, a set of 16, and just kind of similar to yourself, uh, like I remember like when I racked in that third set, like I was like delirious, like I was like it was like yeah. my body was shaking and it was just like uh, I just never, it was like I was like laughing, like almost laughing with pain hysterically. It was just like yeah. it like but it's and the funny thing is too is that. I I often tell people like when I tell people about that experience I was like like you have to understand like I, I had to take twenty minutes between sets and people go people and when I tell that to people they go twenty minutes that's ridiculous and I was like hold on if I did a set that lasted one minute and I said I took a four minute or five minute rest period no one would say anything. I was like each set was lasting over five minutes because yeah. I was doing I was doing breathing in between the squats oh, I, yeah. I, so, yeah. so the bar was on my back for like five minutes a time like so I was like the work to rest ratio was one to four there. Yeah, yeah. It was just, uh, and it, it it makes you start to appreciate. You're like, holy shit! Like, well, I'm kind of kidding myself. That's the only thing I like about high reps is like when you start to challenge yourself. You're like, mm, you know, I used to, I used to say I used to do this for like fives and sixes. Like, I just did it for eighteen there. Yeah, no. When you get to that point, you know you're really pushing the limits on what your body's capable of, and you're really digging into, like you said, the flow state and the zone. You know, it's uh, and when you achieve that state, it's really amazing. It's it's uh, like. I'm still, it's one of my proudest training achievements, that's just for me personally. No, it's not, not amazing. But I, I was weighing about 79, 80 kilos. So it was a one and a half time bodyweight squat for 18, 16, 16 reps. So I was happy enough with it. Yeah, it's not bad at all, man. It's not bad at all. Um, at six foot two and I'm gangly, so I'm not a squatter. I'm, de- I'm more of a deadlifter. Yeah. I've pulled two and yeah. a half of a deadlift. Anyway, make excuses here. All, all yeah. my, all my power in physical, you're just weak. I know, I know, I'm weak. I'm weak. <laughs> no, I hear you, man. Because for me, I, I'm much better with deadlifts than I am for squats, and I'm better at squats than I am at bench press. My bench press is miserable. Shoulder press, miserable. Okay, so right, we've got a bit of your background. We've got a bit of your, your influences. That's great stuff. So the next question, then, and then we'll get into more sort of specifics, real training, the real nitty-gritty that people want to know. Uh, in terms of the the good and not so good things you see within the fitness profession right now, Nick, 
what are what are the, the what are the good things you see? So what are things that make you proud to be a coach within the physical preparation profession or fitness profession? And then at the other end of that continuum, what are the not so good things that you're seeing? Like the things that don't make you proud to say, oh, I'm a I'm a coach within the, the fitness profession. And then with, 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 with the not so good things, what sort of solutions would you offer? Okay, yeah. Um, as far as uh, the really good things that I'm seeing, I, I am seeing a lot of really good practical training information being put out there in a way that um, people can understand and use. Like I, I see a lot more coaches these days who are getting into uh, training that will actually benefit people, and it's not just fluff, and it's not just um, you know going into the weight room and doing a few reps here and then you know blah blah blah. But uh, it, it's really more functional and more useful. Uh, like one of the guys who started it, uh, Zach Evanesh, uh, I've talked to him a few times. He's a, he's a uh, good friend. I only, only just only just interviewed Zach last week. Did you? Awesome. Yeah. I, I know. I know Zach well. Everyone knows yeah. Zach. He's a legend. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and he's one of the guys I really respect who really took that whole functional training thing and really brought it forward. Because you know, once I started reading his stuff, I thought this actually really looks like fun. And I started molding my training more kind of curving to that kind of uh, aspect of uh, training. So it's like unconventional, odd objects, using things in the environment, that kind of thing. And that's just a blast. And not that I don't like gym training with dumbbells. I still do that all the time, too. It's just this kind of more practical, functional stuff really coming to the forefront is, is really what I like to see. Uh, and it's really making me happy to see more of that coming out. Um, in terms of stuff I don't like to see... I think one of the biggest problems in fitness just in general is tribalism where it, um, you focus on your, like if you're a trainer and you've got your system and you convince everybody that everything else, anybody else does is crap. That annoys the hell out of me because it's completely untrue. And it's somebody who's just trying to build their own self up by stepping on everybody else. And I don't think that's what we should be doing as trainers. You know, you should actually be like with what I do, I like to actually bring people in and, you know, explain why their stuff is really good, too. You know, not just mine is great. Everybody else is terrible, but my I think is great. And I think here's why theirs is great as well. And, you know, I, I incorporate what I think is really great about their stuff into my own stuff. So it's a process of building up rather than setting yourself on a pedestal and tearing everybody else down, which I think is you know, not only in fitness, but just in, in life in general, it's it's not something I really have any respect for. So, you know, coaches and trainers who tend to gravitate towards that kind of approach, I don't like that at all. And I would really, really not want to see that in the, the business if I could help it. So, Yeah, like like a, a lot of people who come on the podcast say, say sort of similar things as things they're not so happy or that they're not so proud about. I suppose, like, you know, and I often say this, and, and the listeners of this podcast have heard me talk about this a million times, that, you know, over the, I'm 30 now, but over the last, let's say, decade of my life, you know, my early 20s into into my late 20s into my, well, I'm not in my early, I'm 30, so I'm not in my early 30s yet, but mm. up until now, like, you know, I've done a lot of study in the area of, you know, human um, behavior, human psychology, you know, the development of the human, and then development of, again, human sort of behaviors, Mm -hmm. And like, you know, a, a lot of a lot of what that literature kind of brings to your awareness is this idea of, you know, the subconscious mind versus the conscious mind. And again, how the environment is so huge in shaping an organism. And so how big the environment is in shaping people. And 
you know, a big sort of key driver with me and how I currently perceive the reality is, you know, the, the science of epigenetics. So again, how the environment dictates an organism's expression. And so what, what that, what that sort of brings to awareness is that, you know, everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason. So when you kind of see people who I kind of have these sort of ego identities or, you know, if they seem to be very sort of, Basically, if they just come across as assholes, what you really need to ask, rather than condemning them, is say, you know, okay, that person's an asshole, but why are why are they an asshole? And I understand that there's multiple reasons and and, and multiple uh, causes and experiences that have led that person to be the person they are right now. So, you know, I suppose with that sort of background knowledge, all you can really have towards that is just acceptance and compassion and empathy. But at the same time, you know, it can be frustrating, particularly for young coaches when. They're sort of being, you know, supposed more easily influenced by some other coaches who are saying, no, this is the only way and BMI tribe and stuff like that. So, yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I suppose all, all, all we can do is just, you know, as Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world and put out a good message there. And, like, I always encourage any young coaches or all coaches to always think for themselves. That's the one message I always ever want to impart to any other human being is to always think for themselves. Have self-reliance, have enough courage to come to your own conclusions and everything, and question everything in a in a genuine manner. Like you, know, you don't need to be an asshole, but you get those assholes to like question everything. But you know, I always, yeah. always question everything and being inquisitive. And I always say that, and that includes me. Question what I'm going to share, and I always say I share information. I never tell people what to do. I just share. But yeah, that's a good point. I, I would definitely agree with what you said. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on the you know getting challenged too. That's one of the things I like best about. Uh, doing what I do, especially online, is that I do get people who ask me questions and challenge what I put forward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when they do it respectfully, I'm totally good with it. When they just, you know, do it on YouTube and stay stupid crap, then, you know, I'm not in favor of that, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to have a good discussion with somebody, and I will absolutely change my mind if they come up with a good point. And I've, I've done that many, many times where it's like, oh, I didn't actually think of that, but that's a really good point. And, you know, I should be doing it this way instead of that way. And uh, I'm going to change this too. And, you know, so I think that's to have an open mind and to not be closed off to changing your mind is another big thing. You know, there's a lot of people who do get very wrapped up in their methodologies and treat any attack on or any challenge to those methodologies as a personal attack, mm -hmm. which is a huge mistake because you're closing yourself off from learning and making yourself better. Mm -hmm. And it just shortchanges everybody. But yeah, when somebody... I mean, there's even been times where people have approached me in a very rude manner, but they still had a point. So I, I wrote them back very nicely and said, you know, I, I don't appreciate the way you came forward with it, but you actually have a really good point. And, you know, they're actually stunned because they were expecting me to, you know, yell at them back. But I'm like, you know, saying you actually have a good point and, you know, I'm going to actually change my method. And they're like, oh, I'm really sorry I said it like that. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it was coming across rude or I didn't want to be, I thought you were just going to be some internet jerk. And I'm like, no, man, it's a, we can have a discussion here. And, uh, you know, if it's different then uh, I'm happy to, uh, do something different if it works better. So, yeah. And sometimes it's hard to, through the medium of like Facebook or Twitter or email sometimes to kind of, you know, get your point because you, there's no emotion to the written word there. You know, like you can't see how the person's word. And that's, I'm always careful. Like, so, cause sometimes I, I'd ask a question and it might seem like I'm being smart, but I'll always write underneath. This is actually a genuine question. I'm actually interested. I'm not trying to be, um, you know, yeah. so stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's interesting. All right. So Nick, another reason why I wanted to get you on, because I've, I've kind of followed a little bit of your, your, your Facebook feeds over the years and you're also intrigued me a bit. And then going through a little bit of your stuff there over the last few days in terms of podcast interviews and then kind of going through some of the videos in your video library. Um, you know, what's kind of shown across is that 
you kind of take unconventional approaches in terms of your methods to um, muscle building or fat loss. So the next question I'm going to ask is, before we get into maybe some specific methods, maybe tell me about like your training system, your training philosophy, or the training principles that you abide by. So like if I was to sit you down and say, right, Nick, and let's say like, Let's say, like, you had to leave the world with, like, the Nick Nielsen training system. What, what, what would that, what would that book contain? That's an interesting question because it might be more of a philosophy than a system, to be honest. Because uh, what I do tends to evolve constantly. Mm-hmm. Like the stuff that I did four or five years ago is can be very different from what I'm doing right now. A lot of it's very similar, but. What I do is my philosophy is basically it's almost like a similar to a, like a Bruce Lee kind of philosophy where you take take in everything, filter out what's good, and then make it your own and, and apply it forward. So that's mm-hmm. that's basically what my kind of philosophy is, but with weight training, where I'm basically you know finding all these different sources. I'm learning from everybody that I can possibly learn from. And this includes not even like advanced people but and good coaches, but I'm talking about even like total beginners. I learn a lot from total beginners because I can see based on what how their body moves and what they're doing that I often come up with really interesting exercises based on what they're doing wrong sometimes because, you know, they're trying to do a back exercise and they feel it in their chest and they're like, what's happening to me? And like, oh, that's what you're doing with that. So I'm actually, you know, learning from absolutely everybody discovering biomechanical principles based on that and and basically taking those principles and putting them back together. Like I'm exploding, you know, you, you say think outside the box. I'm basically exploding the box, putting it back together in my own way. Okay. So maybe I'm very left brain analytical at times. So let's say I come to you and I'm like, Nick, make me a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so currently I'm six foot two. I remember I did this one time with Mike Tashir, the power of the coach. He's like, Mike, let's say hypothetically you have a six foot two Caucasian Irish. These are his numbers. And then Mike was just like, okay, well, let's t- tell me about your numbers. Like, that, that was just me. I just explained. <laughs> so let's say, so I, I'm currently, I'm six foot two. I'm actually pretty light at the moment. I'm only like 175, 180, pretty lean. Mm-hmm. Um, skinny, just skinny. It was just actually. And uh, I've been over 200 pounds up, but I was fat then. Uh, you tell yourself you're just big, which you're not. You're just fat. Uh, I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating. I'm bulking face. We've been bulking face for five years. Bulking up. Yeah, exactly. When the last five years, I think you're lying to yourself. Uh, but let's say I go to you and I'm like, listen, I, I want you to make me as big and strong, as lean as possible. Uh, and I have, let's say, I have a good background in all the basic lifts. How how would you go about, like, what, what, what would you do? How would that go? I would actually have a, I would alternate between two different approaches for this specific scenario where I would, I would basically use a start with a longer term, like a two month cycle where like I, we were talking about before, I would ramp you up into an overtraining kind of thing and then pull back. Mm. And then depending on how that went, I would do, um, I would either do one more of those or I would have you do a very, very short term acute cycle where we do massive overload preceded by massive deprivation, kind of like we were talking about before there as well. Mm-hmm. So the first approach would be more of a long-term slow approach to kind of see how your body responds to that. And uh, if it responds well, we kind of stick with that for a little while, two to three rounds of that. And then if that works really well, 
Um, if it doesn't, after two, after one round of at a two month cycle, then I would go to a more hammering approach where we would do a massive overload where we do a deprivation, total deprivation for a week and then massive overload for a week, you know, eating, training volume, the works, and then kind of taper it down from there again. But, uh, Sometimes uh, the body needs just a, a general, a low, a low key kind of gradual increase for more permanent gains. Whereas sometimes a really, really short term focused approach is better when your body is ready for it. Uh, sometimes your body's not ready for it, mm-hmm. and it won't it will, won't do you as much good. It'll just kind of break it down. But if you kind of build up with a long term steadier approach, take a short break, and then take this hammering approach you can really make some incredible uh, gains in a very, very short period of time. So I would do <clears throat> basically alternate those kind of approaches I think would be the best way that I would recommend for uh, a physique similar to yours specifically. <laughs> so in would you then be a proponent, say, right, so the longer cycle, would, would it just be all in between like accumulation intensification, whereas – the more acute micro weekly cycle ones, they would be sort of almost accumulation intensification again, but just like more severe. Yeah, much more compressed, like over a, a very short period of time rather than over a period of months. Yeah, I get you. Okay, <clears throat> that's, that's very good. And then in terms of different body types, then Nick, so like, you know, we have our somatotypes, but we all know like the somatotypes are a bit of bullshit and that like no one's purely mm-hmm. an ecto, meso, and endo. But yeah. like, so. Have you seen like that certain types though respond a little bit better to the certain types of training? So like, like you know, someone maybe like me, I'm more ectomorphic, and I suppose like you know, listen, to be someone listening to this and to be rolling the rice saying you're talking shite, but you know, I'm usually ectomorphic people. Like say for me, I, I'm definitely more of a type one fiber endurance type. But I produce force very slowly. I'm not like really, really strong. Like so, mm-hmm. therefore, I, I don't I don't like cause a shit ton of damage to my body every time I train because I'm not like I'm not like shifting loads of forces. Whereas like someone who's like you know like a world class powerlifter or a bodybuilder, like every time they train, they're causing serious disruptions to their body. So yeah. like so basically, I'm asking like, do you see that? Like do you, do you kind of have an idea if you're training someone like oh, I can definitely push this guy a little harder because his body can handle a little more volume because maybe he's not causing as much damage to his body. Whereas this guy's a little more advanced and more sensitive. He needs a little more recovery and overeating and, you know, deload time after we do a little bit of a, a, a tough set with him. Or So like, do you kind of basically, do you book it like kind of people into certain categories and, and kind of know what certain protocols to suit that individual? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell pretty quick how people respond. And one of the ways I like to test that is with uh, some volume workouts and to really just see what people can tolerate in terms of volume. And uh, when you come back one day day or two after that and you see how their strength gets affected by that, like some people, you give them a volume workout, they'll actually come back stronger two days later, whereas some people are still recovering from it and they'll be weaker two days later. So you can kind of get a pretty good idea of what their body can tolerate based on that. And sometimes it's it's really kind of weird because a mesomorph or with mesomorphic tendencies might – be really well suited to an intense high intensity kind of program, yeah. but they might actually also even respond better to a, a lower intensity, higher volume program, but you wouldn't know it just to look at them. You actually have to have them do something. Yeah. And that's a, that's similar to like, even with an ectomorphic body type, you know, some, like you said, some ectomorphic people can train and not cause a lot of muscle damage and maybe they need a higher intensity program that really hammers the muscle hard. But on the other hand, 
they might not be able to recover very well from that, not being able to train frequently enough to develop over time. You know, if you're training once a week because that's all you can handle, your rate of muscle growth is going to be pretty compromised, you know, whereas if you're doing um, a more volume approach, but with reasonable intensity, that might be better for you to build up, or you might even find alternating between both approaches to be the way to go. So it's, you know, it's really, there's a lot of trial and error and there's a lot of, um, testing that you need to do as far as what works best for your own physique. Um, if you try and go with a one size fits all program, you can get results, but you might find better results if you kind of adjust on the fly based on what you see your body responding best to. Okay. So we've spoken a little about accumulation intensification blocks in a more sort of, I suppose, meso cycle way and micro cycle way. Um, and then we've spoken that, you know, the training does need to be individualized in terms of, you know, how specific, if you want to say, body types respond. In, in terms then of how you like to set up training for a beginner, intermediate, advanced, now again, you can be like, well, what the fuck's a beginner? What's a beginner? What's an advanced? But I suppose we'll just use those terms for now. Like, you hear a lot of people say, beginner, you know, total body, you know, three, maybe four times a week, they get away with that. You know, maybe when we start the intermediate advanced, we might start going upper lower. Or even some people say, you know, even advanced guys can actually take, like, it's funny, there's such conflicting things, because there's some people saying that, like, so, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, more so maybe with powerlifters, Olympic lifters, that. So, when you're a beginner, obviously, you don't need that much stimulus, because you're a beginner, but then as you get more elite, you need more volume and intensity. But then there gets a the point where you can only keep going with volume intensity because if you start becoming so elite and so strong and your biological output gets so high, you need more recovery then. So then it's just like, well, how am I supposed to train more if I need more recovery? And then obviously you can train multiple times a day. And I've had this conversation with a few coaches, you know, so like, because like there's, there's some guys are like, you know, the more elite you get, the more training volume intensity you need and the more recovery you need. And then there's other guys saying that, no, the more elite you get, you actually need to taper back your volume, keep your intensity high and that like, so there's some people who disagree on that regard anyway. But just in terms of, let's say, a more newbie to train versus someone who's a little more intermediate versus someone who's more, a little more advanced, how would you usually, or what are the sort of more, what are the microcycle setups that you would be more skewed to go towards there, like the weekly kind of microcycles? Yeah. I think, uh, honestly, the best way to answer it would be visually in terms of a bell curve, where when you're first starting out kind of on the left-hand side of the curve, you're more, like you said, in the beginner stages, you don't need as much volume and intensity. What you need is practice, practice with the movements. So you don't need to be very high up on the curve. As you develop and kind of change your body, change your physiology, that's when you need to ramp up the intensity, ramp up the volume. That's kind of as you get to the peak of the curve. As you get more and more advanced, like you were saying, you get stronger using heavier weights. You do need more recovery. You can't train as hard or as frequently or you will crash out. That's when the bell curve kind of comes down the other side a little bit. Now, it's not, you know, the one big answer with training is always it depends. That's always the answer. That's m most answer in most things in life. Yeah. No, but, but with this, you know, that's generally the approach I would take. Whereas, you know, somebody who's a beginner, you kind of start them off relatively easy, low intensity, more in terms of learning the movements and practicing as they get better and better with them. Then you really pile on the volume, pile on the intensity. They can take it better. Their body is really growing and developing. And this is over a period of, you know, two or three years. They can take a lot of that as they get more advanced and stronger. If you really keep on hammering them, they're going to, their body's going to kind of crap out on that. So you got to kind of gauge 
as it's going to see what they're responding to at the time. I suppose, so, that's, I suppose that's where the drugs come into, I suppose, you know, to help them with the recovery process. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, beyond just the, the drugs, there are, you know, contrast showers, that kind of thing. There's, you know, cleaning up nutrition, calorie intake, supplements. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of guys, when they get to the, the phase when they're beyond that bell curve, they still want to hit that high volume, high intensity. But because they're strong, they can't recover from it. Mm. They take the drugs to help recover from it which basically flattens out that curve or allows it to keep going up. So, you know, it, it continues the um, the pattern up that way, and they never really hit that bottom end of the bell curve. Like for me right now, I don't, um, you know, I'm 44, but I don't do nearly the kind of training volume that I used to do when I was in my 20s and 30s, but I'm actually pretty much just as strong and just as yeah. good a result. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the intensity is still there, but the volume might have thrown. And it's more, actually, Bill, Bill Hartman, I'm not sure you know Bill Hartman, he's a physical yeah. therapist, strength coach at IFAST, and he made a good point there in a podcast I listened to lately, and he was like, what he feels is that, like, our actual our actual capacity to do work doesn't diminish. But he's mm-hmm. like, it's our recovery from that work that seems to be regarded. Because he's like, he was basically saying, like, he's like, I'm 51, and I still feel that I could train like I did in my 20s. Like, I still feel I could do that. Like, to me, if I physically feel I could do the outputs, but it's just I wouldn't be able to recover from it like I did in my 20s. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, for example, what I did in my training yesterday, I did a, some high rep trap bar deadlifts. I did 34 reps with 315 pounds. And, uh, that's something I could, uh, that I did, you know, like five, 10 years ago, but now it's going to take me a little bit longer to recover from it because I'm older, more advanced, what have you. But it's, it's still, I do feel like I'm just as capable of doing the stuff that I did before as I was then. So yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Cool. So uh, we, we've spoken a little bit there now again. So we've gone through uh, a little bit of your systems there. Um, is, is there any, like, so again, if, is there like any sort of like standard or go-to sort of, well, for, actually something I don't want to ask you, like what, what are your, like what are the principles then that guide all your program? Because we all have principles. So, I know, I know on the podcast you were like, well, definitely overload, progressive overload definitely has to be in it in some sort of way or, or fashion. So, like, and obviously specifically, if I go to say, listen, I want to get bigger everywhere, like, I want my legs to get bigger. He's like, well, we're going to do leg work. I want to get bigger. Well, we're going to do body work. So, obviously, specificity is, is, is a principle we abide by overload. Um, and the recovery, obviously, for, you know, fatigue management, SRA, SRA curves or the, or the stimulus recovery adaptation curves. Um, mm. well, like, is there, like, would they be big principles that you would abide by? And I suppose in the way I'm sort of looking at train lately too, is that, it's, that it all goes back to your brain and that like your brain, it's all like, you know, basically it's all stress physiology. It's like your brain perceives a threat and it's like, fuck, if I come up against that again, I better be fucking ready. So like, you know, talking about, talking about you doing your 40 squats and shit like that. So mm. it's really about like just pushing and seeing how far your, your body and your brain are willing to accept and then to be able to adapt that. So are you just very much about stressing the organism as much as you can to the point where it's almost about to break and then just, you know, giving it, giving it that chance to recover then? Would that be one of your big abiding sort of training principles? That's, that would be a big one, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's both in terms of how much intensity the body can take, but also how much training volume the volume. body can take. Yeah, yeah. You know, like not even – I'm not a big fan of the um, – the principle of minimalistic training. I, I understand it, but I don't like it because I love training. <laughs> I want to do more of it. Yeah, so. yeah. 
It's funny. It's funny you say that because because uh, when when you hear people say, "Oh, I'm unconventional," usually they're the people who say, "Oh, you don't need all that training volume stuff." You know, the, it's it's funny how it swings. Yeah, there was this big rage for well, like. But are you familiar with Mike Israel's work? Uh, that name sounds familiar. What was the name again? Mike Israel. So Mike is. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just that Mike has been speaking an awful lot lately about this concept of maximum recoverable volume. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, minimum effective dose, minimum effective dose. And he's kind of saying, like, yeah, minimum effective dose gets you, like, just, like, minimum mm-hmm. resu- minimum results. And he's like, well, he's like, why would you not train to, like, the most amount of volume that you're able to benefit and recover from? And then over the course of time, you would have got better results than just, like, doing the minimum amount. Maybe it's semantics or too, because maybe that's what people mean when they say minimum effective dose. But there's been a lot of talk recently about, like, how can you judge how much volume someone can handle at any one time? So, like, this idea of maximum recovery volume and determine how much volume is needed to get an adaptation. And, like, there's so many variables that go into that, because as you get more advanced, your volume needs to go up. Then there's also, like, acute variables, like, well, if you're fatigued, your volume will be down on this day and, you know, readiness and all that. So it can fluctuate. Just in, in terms of training volume, Nick, like when you're writing out a program or prescribing that, like how do you, like would you kind of look at some of the old weightlifting programs and like prescribe tonnages for like the, the, the a monthly cycle and say, I want you to hit this amount of load for, and maybe if it's bodybuilding, okay, I want this amount of load, this body part for this week and then week two, week three, week four. Like do you go by tonnages that I'd like to hit throughout the week and then separate that up over the four weeks? Or like 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 basically, how do you um, monitor volume and load in a program? I actually never use uh, tonnages like that. I never use the uh, total volume in terms of poundage. Mm. Um, I tend to go with uh, pretty much the standard set rep kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But mm. um, also with with the reps, it's a kind of a fluid amount. So it's more of um, it's hard to explain. Like sometimes when I do volume training, I'll do a very uh, a very specific rep range, like I'll say, and I'll go by time and uh, volume where um, it's actually one of my programs is time volume is like a density program, kind of like escalating density training yeah. from Charles Staley. I know Charles well, but, met, met him this year. I was in Arizona, got to meet him for a cup of coffee. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've worked with him for a couple of years actually. And uh, yeah, I came up with a, a version of my volume training. That's very similar to his escalating density. The way I do it is um, you do three rep sets, 10 seconds rest, for 15 minutes. So you're using a weight that you can normally get about 10 reps for. You do three reps with it. Mm. Take 10 seconds rest. So you're basically alternate. You're doing sets of three reps, sets of three reps until you can no longer get three. And then you do 20 seconds rest and then you keep going at that. And then 30 seconds rest. So it takes the same density training concept, but it applies it in a very specific way using the same weight, using a very predictable pattern. Now in, in terms of, um, that maximum effective dose, that's totally my philosophy right there. You know, what you can recover from, that's what I want to know, is how much you can do while still not crushing yourself into the ground. The minimum one, you know, like I said, I get what they're saying with it, and I get that it's basically going to give you pretty much minimum results. You know, it to me, it's a very timid way to approach training. Yeah, that, that, and, that, 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 and that's the point that Mike makes. He's on. He's, he's more like what you're thinking. Mike's like, why would you want minimum because I can't see the minimum results of the whole idea. Yeah. But, but I, again, it could be semantics because some people say, no, 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 I, I want to get the maximum results with, the, the, like, the kind of, not the minimum effort, but just the right amount of effort. Whereas, mm-hmm. and they would say, if I go any more than that, then I'm more trained, then kind of might be like, well, that's MRV, then that's maximum recovery volume. And then yeah. it's like, it's semantics, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But it, it's just, yeah. it's so hard to know 
where that volume, where that recovery volume is. Because, like, not only is it different, obviously, from, sorry, I completely cut in there, I'm very sorry. Um, uh, it's just my mind racing. Like, if I don't get this point, I know I forget. Uh, but, like, it, it's so, it not only is someone's recovery volume variable from one person to either, like me and you, but, like, you know yourself, too. Like, what we can recover from in, like, a cut versus a bulk is completely different. Like, it's miserable when you're training and you're in a caloric deficit. You're just yeah. like, you have headaches, and you're like, oh, I don't want to lift. And it's just like, and then when you're in a bulk, you're like, whoa, weights, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, no, and it's, um, I was going to say there, yeah, it's t- it's totally along that line where you really want to um, push yourself to see, you won't know your limits until you push them, essentially is the way I see it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. a lot of people, they really underestimate what they're capable of. Usually, and usually. Uh, yeah. That goes back yeah. to the, the, the reps, the sets and the reps that are the fucking 18 and 2 sets, 16 in the squat. Like I said, yeah. I was there doing it for fives. And then, and I remember when I did it and like the coach who was that, like my mate who was coaching me through, he kind of looked and goes, we really do like not push ourselves that often. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's more, more than, more often than not, you're, you do have some left in the tank. It's just your brain says that's enough. Whereas your muscles, when you really get to one of those sets where you push yourself and your brain is in that zone, it's incredible what your your body can do. Yeah, it is. It is unbelievable. And so, yeah. so if we you know, cover some nice stuff there. So basically, your overall and the reason why I, I posed the question earlier as system or principles as well as philosophies, because sometimes I've often said to people, I used to always say, "What's the train philosophy?" And like Buddy Morris and like Bergen Bella, they like slap my wrist like, "We don't have philosophies. We're not fucking philosophers." Strength training is a science. I have a, I have a system and a, a principle. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Again, semantics, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah. but again, if we went back to like Nick Nielsen's philosophy, it is this kind of the underline or overarching philosophy is that we're we're an organism. I'm trying to stress the absolute shit out of this organism to the point where I know it's just about to break when I pull it back and let it adapt and come back and be an even better beast. And I like to do that through alternating phases of volume and intensity. Would that be sort mm-hmm. of it? That's right on the money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the kind of the, uh, the stuff in between with the exercises is like, I'm finding better ways to stress myself, more effective yeah. ways to stress myself yeah. Yeah. more efficiently. They're, so, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're the methods and the means, whereas the principle is just stress and adaptation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's, then let's get into some of the, some of the supposed the icing on cake, these methods and means. So this is what you are really known for. So what would be, so, I mean, if, if we went through, like, I know I heard you on, on Greg Ballantyne's podcast and like, you know, he was kind of talking about body parts or chest, back and all that. And that's fucking, we, we do that if we want. But I suppose maybe let's just go with like, you know, knee dominance, hip dominance, push and pull, horizontal, vertical, because they basically are covering body parts too. So if we start with the, the lower body, like, and say quad development, knee dominant type stuff or squats, split squats or lunge variations, like yeah. what are, what are some of the tweaks or what are some of the, the exercises you like to use there that you feel are more optimal than what kind of traditionally people are using and why? One of the uh, best ones that I've ever found for quads is um, basically a standing dumbbell uh, squat where you're holding a bar in one hand so you can keep your torso vertical mm-hmm. and you're holding a dumbbell in the other. So I call it a one-arm gripping dumbbell squat. And it basically puts all the focus directly on the quads. And it doesn't hurt the knees, doesn't hurt the back, doesn't develop the glutes. It's all quads. And you can hammer this one for, you know, low reps, high reps. You can spot yourself with your non-working hand, the one that's gripping onto the bar. And this bar is set at about chest height. 
you can use like Smith machine or the rack and you basically just go up and down, switch hands every five to 10 reps. And you can basically push your quads until the point where they absolutely can't even function anymore. And, uh, you know, when it comes to squats and high rep squats, not always is it the case that the quads are the limiting factor. Sometimes it's your lower back. Sometimes it's your core. You know, there's other things involved. Whereas with this exercise, it's absolutely your quads that are the limiting factor because there's nothing else really being stressed other than your quads. So that's, for me, that's the, the best quad developer that you can possibly do. And, and quads eat up volume. They love the high reps. So, yeah. you know, aiming for like 30, 40, 50 rep sets, that'll get a deep burn right down to the bone. And uh, that one is the best one that I found. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on then to the old arse, as we say over in Ireland, the, the, the gluteals and the posterior chain, the hamstrings. What, what, have you, what have you liked there? I think I remember hearing one of the glutes was this deep, Single leg squat. I heard you talk about. That's a good one. Yeah, um, that's a that's a good body weight one. Actually, is you're just standing on a chair. It's like a one legged squat where you're holding onto something in front, so you can actually kind of sit back and come all the way down until your knee is right up near your chin, and then because you're holding onto something, you're not worried about coming back up. So you can really sit back, push with your heel, really dig in with the glutes, and get yourself right back up to the top. Um, that exercise is an awesome one. You don't need any equipment. Um, there's another one that I really like where it's like a Bulgarian split squat top deadlift with the dumbbells. So it's uh, let's see if I can paint a picture here. We're basically – imagine you're in the uh, top position of a Bulgarian split squat. Well, you got two well, what, I'll, what I'll do as well, Nick, is if you've got these in the exercise library, I'll link them in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, I probably do somewhere. I can I can send you links for that. Yeah, I can great. find that. That would be great. Go on. Can you continue yeah. on? Continue on. So you're in the picture yourself in the top position of that um, Bulgarian split squat. Well, I'd, no, I'd, I'd, I'd rather not. I fucking hate Bulgarians. Oh yeah, it gets worse, man. It gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> so now sink down, kind of part way into the bottom, so you're feeling a stretch on that glute. Now lean forward into a dumbbell deadlift. Oh. So you're getting tension from the stretch isometrically, and then you're leaning forward, and then you're coming back up. So you're hitting your glutes isometrically and isotonically. So you're getting dual action on the glutes under heavy load in two different patterns of movement at the same time, and it will, like, rip your glutes right off your hip, <laughs> hip bones. That is it's fucking insane. horrendous. So, yeah, so, some, of the, some of the sorest glutes I ever got were from two things. Front foot elevated reverse lunges, high reps. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when you do what I call combo rear foot elevated, combinations for the squats so it's where your front and rear foot are elevated yeah so you get that deeper stretch yeah uh, this is along that line and you'll yeah you'll hate yeah. this one if you try it it's miserable Fucking, yeah you, like i don't know about you but do you ever know when you are doing bulgarian split squats and like kind of and they're, if you're doing like high reps like say anything above 10 and like that 10 to 15 range and like you're kind of like on like rep 8 9 and it's really starting to burn and then you get this voice head going why why am i doing this why do I hate myself so much? <laughs> yeah. What what, yeah, what, what what happened in my childhood that has led me to do this? I know, right? It's like that's like every workout I do. <laughs> I literally am swearing through swearing at myself through half the workouts I, I'm doing. It's just like. But yeah, you got you've got the one good thing is you're like well, no one else to blame my design. It's like currently at the moment actually I'm I'm actually doing a pretty, uh, like it's it's pretty intense in in terms of like the perceived effort, not not the weight in terms of I know intensity and we're talking about. Um, weight on the bar in terms of your 1RM not that but just in terms of actual like being just fucked 
it's mm-hmm. it's pretty so it's it's basically it's it's a little bit I don't know if you're aware you would love Pat Davidson if you're not aware who Pat Davidson is. So he's the author of Mass and Mass Two. But Pat is a fucking sick bastard when it comes to writing workouts. So like <laughs> like Mass Mass One is basically like and actually I haven't actually fully read Mass One, but I, I'm really sure it's like five or six days in a row and it's just the same circuit, thirty on, thirty off, ten exercises. And yeah. like he's just like you have to get fifty. The, the goal of it is to get fifteen reps on everything. So uh, it's to get four hundred and fifty reps done in the thirty minutes, and it's just an absolute bear. And it's just like his whole thing is kind of similar to you. He's like, I just grinding the fuck out of the organism, and it's just gonna adapt or die. Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds like right up my alley, man. I have to check that out. Oh, you love Pat, and he's a like. Yeah. I'm gonna have Pat on the podcast again on Saturday. But me and Pat would regularly communicate, and like, we're just like kindred spirits. Like, we're like brothers from other mothers. Like, we just talk about fucking everything, like the universe and quantum physics, and we just get deep into shit. Like, like we would literally probably have a deep conversation on shit itself. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so he's that kind of. But he's an absolute genius. He's a PhD. He used to be a professor at Springfield, and then he worked at Peak Performance in New York and until that went tits up because what happened with peak performance is Joe, Joe Dodell's obviously he was going to, they were opening up like this brand new, it was going to be like state of the art, like, like the best training facility in the world. And he let the lease go on his current one. And then the other thing fell through and he put the place back. So it's like, Oh fuck. Oh man. So that, that's what happened. All right. So we have the quads, we have the glutes and hamstrings. That's oh well, that was the glutes. Yeah. The hamstrings. So, uh, I have to say now, hamstrings for me, shy, don't know why, like, uh, well, I do know why, it's because I've never really trained them, like, because I'm always training them, like, but, like, I suppose, like, the good thing about you, Nick, is that you're, you're actually developing all this shit in a, in a fucking, in just a garage, which is, like, the most basic equipment ever, like, people can say, well, you know, I don't have machines, so I don't do leg curls or quads against full bounds, like, listen, there's people out there who develop them, He's like long before machines around. Look at Eugene Shando and all them bad boys. Yeah. So like yeah, in terms of hamstrings, what what would be your favorite go tos there? My favorite uh, hamstring one is kind of a a modified Romanian deadlift. It's kind of like a combination between a stiff legged deadlift, which is not one of my favorites, and a Romanian deadlift with kind of the soft knees and the bent legs a little bit. Mm-hmm. I actually um, do these starting with the bar on the ground, whereas RDLs, you're kind of starting top down yeah. and only going partway. Whereas the way I do it, I start with the bar on the ground like a stiff like a deadlift, but with knees bent, and then really focus on developing tension in the hamstrings and then doing the uh, the lift from there. And uh, I find that to be a phenomenal one. I can feel that one from the top of my hamstrings right down to the knees every single time. And uh, because the hams are so uh, fast twitch oriented, I find it great for development and for strength. And um, to give you an example, I, I work up to, I think the most I've worked up to is about 425 on doing those. And um, it really, it my regular deadlift went shooting up, my squats went shooting up just to have that posterior chain work and to really get the proper targeting on the hamstrings like that is just phenomenal. Mm. You know, and and then, then if you, oh, one ahead, more thing actually. When you, if you really want to uh, go to the maximum on that one, I came up with a two-band version of it where you attach a band in front of you so that as you come up to the top, you're getting lateral slash diagonal band tension. So it's attached down low and then to the bar so that you're pulling the bar up and back, you're getting direct lateral tension. And then in addition to that, another version, I actually attached another band down low, put that band around my heels take a few steps back 
So not only am I getting the tension of the exercise, I'm getting the tension of my body trying not to be pulled forward by the feet at the same time. Mm. So it's kind of like that bull pawing and ground effect that you use to kind of get you to activate the hamstrings. You're getting that via band the entire time you're doing the exercise. So it's, if you want to light up your hamstrings, you do that one because literally your body will have no choice but to fire those hams and it's, it's murder on the hams. Great stuff. Uh, it was just, what was coming to my head there was too that, uh, I know I noticed so far we we haven't said heavy barbell back squats for the lower body or the quads regular deadlifting for you know the glutes and the hamstrings we, we talk about so and the reason I bring it up is because I think people get locked into these sort of like well these are the only exercises too because I know for me that if I really want to develop my quads it, I would not do it through squatting because just my biomechanics and my levers like I know mm. for for me to really get like into my quads, I need to do things like split squats, and because I can just get yeah. into better angles with my body type. Absolutely, yeah, and you know, there's definitely nothing against those regular exercises like oh, the squats yeah, and the deadlifts. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You need to have those as a cornerstone in order to build the basic overall strength. Absolutely. But to like you said, to really target specific muscles, and especially with different body types, it's absolutely critical because you have different lever lengths are affected differently and you know a squat might do nothing for you for your quads but hit your glutes and your hamstrings quite strongly whereas if you do an exercise that's really going to hammer the quads they have no choice yeah uh, do you are you familiar with the resistance training specialist uh, t- uh tom tom curis uh tom purvis i think is his name purvis yeah purvis yeah yeah, it's, it's just that, like, you know, because a lot of his stuff is about how to manipulate the, the mechanics of an exercise to, like, really get the maximal benefit from themselves. It's just because I know Ben Ben Pukalski talks about it all the time in terms of his mm-hmm. training. So just, you know, because you're kind of someone who's kind of always playing around with the biomechanics and things to get the yeah. ma- maximal benefit from certain exercises. So just wondering if you came across that stuff. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I know Ben, actually. I've met him a few times. So. Oh, yeah, he's a good dude. I, yeah. I don't, I don't personally know him, but I, I kind of like what he's, you know, he's trying to, bring a little more science and understanding to like why certain methods work and all that. So I like that about Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, casts are definitely a, a big issue with a lot of people. And I suppose the, the one thing I've often heard from a lot of people is that they just need volume. Would you be someone of that sort of mindset too, a cast volume and frequency? Volume, frequency, and the other thing is a uh, stretch, resisted mm. stretch. Mm. With the uh, calves especially, um, they're very resistant to growth, you know, because of all the connective tissue, because of their slow twitch makeup for the most part. For me, I have very challenged calves. I have a hard time building them. The only thing that really, really worked for me, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, and this is where I got the idea of the resisted stretch, is those things called strength shoes where it had like the built up area in the front part of the shoe so that your heel was elevated and completely off the ground. Well, no, I've never seen those. Yeah, it's uh, I think they're still called strength shoes. You can probably, uh, if you Google that, it'll come right up. But it's basically a built-up platform on the front of the shoe under the forefoot area. And you do, uh, like, sprint training, you do hill training, you do jumps from there. Um, I found, for me, that got my calf strength and size up like nothing else because of the massive plyometric loading that was happening on the calves. Now... The first time I did it, I did it. I got so excited. <laughs> I, the just, first time I, I just, I just Googled them. They're fucking mad looking things. Oh, they're hilarious. Yeah. Oh, they're, you should, if you try them, it's, it's unbelievable. Like the first time I tried them, I did way too much volume. I used these things for like an hour doing jumping, sprinting, running backwards, jumping back down a hill. If you've ever, you know, the late onset muscle soreness is one thing. I was getting muscle soreness immediately after my training 
They're like the crazy kind. looking things there. Yeah. Like I, I could hardly walk. I had to walk home from my workout there. It took me what normally would take me 10 minutes, took me an hour to walk home. Cool. And that was right after the workout. Two days later, I literally couldn't go up and down stairs. I had to slide down the stairs. Just crippled with calf thumbs. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't recommend going to that extreme, but, uh, using exercises like donkey calf raises, for example, are a great stretch exercise, but come down into the bottom, come up just slightly. So you're actually getting some tension, some active tension in the muscle near that peak stretch position and then hold it for like, you know, 10, 20 seconds and then come up the rest of the way. That's going to really force the calf muscles to activate rather than worth a lot of calf exercises. You, you see a lot of people coming out of the bottom quite quickly and that's a lot of Achilles tendon rebounding happening. Just, yeah, exactly. Just rebounding out of it. I suppose yeah. all, well, that's kind of why the, the two up, one down can be effective sometimes for calves because you could really like stretch, 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 stretch it and to help get it up so that you can get the full range and then to re-stretch it again. You can use the, the two like, but it's just that the sets last so fucking long when you do one calf at a yeah. time. It's but, miserable, yeah. Too. Yeah, it is miserable, yeah. I think too, it's like gang too, it's just like, it's, for a lot of people, it's just, it's boring, you know, unless like you're going to be stepping on stage or you really, really just want to get those calves developed, but it's a very undertrained group of muscles though, because we don't, and then the other thing is like, uh, I know a lot of Polican guys, you know, they're big on training the Agnes antagonists, you know, you'd see a lot of them guys in their gyms, they actually have a tip and fucking machine yeah. as well, yeah, it's funny, yep. you know, but you know, maybe, you know, I have to say the they had big calves, these guys, so they kind of, they were onto something. Um, and I come from more of a sports performance background, but, like, it's funny, too, like, because how, how like, d- divided, you kind of spoke with this earlier on, but, like, tribal, you know, you have your powerlifters, your Olympic lifters, your physical preparation coaches, you know, track and field, and, and like, I'm someone who just loves it all. Like, so, like, you know, I, I, like, I love bodybuilding, the sport of bodybuilding as much as I love Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting or, like, the field, the field-based sports over here in Ireland, we've got hurling, getting football. I, I grew up playing hurling, so I, I love team sports. You know, I love it all. Like, but it's funny yeah. you could talk to like some guys who are strength conditioning coaches, or you know, someone who's born out around, and they'd be like, "Why, why would you go look at bodybuilding?" I'm like, "Because it's a sport. Like, it's it's creativity. It's as beautiful as any other sport. I appreciate it for what it is. Like, I think it's amazing what these guys do. So, yeah, yeah that's it's kind of like yeah, you know, I'm just I guess this is where my brain is. I, I I don't think it's a you know you have to be this style or that style or this this method or this yeah this method of training versus that method. I, I love it all, you know. So, um, but the calves are definitely are something even under trained because even like just some sports performance people are like you know a lot of people don't train the connective tissues of the calf and that's needed then for force transfer. But then mm. in terms of physique, a lot of people just don't train it either. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's one of the biggest pitfalls is you know it's just. Actually working them, that's really the key. <laughs> mm, exactly, yeah, yeah. So, uh, moving on then up to, to the upper body there. So, obviously, fucking suppose every young fellow wants to know about their chest. and you know. So, what are some of the, the best chest developer exercises? And then we can move on maybe to shoulders and then, and then the back. Sure. The absolute best one for chest does require a bit of specialized equipment. Um, it is a dumbbell press done with a uh, cable machine oh. at the same time. So you're actually doing a dumbbell press and a cable fly at the same time. Are you supine there now? What's that? Are you lying on the bench? Yeah, you're lying on the okay, bench. Okay, okay, um, yeah. You've got uh, – the way I like to do it is I have uh, ankle straps looped around my wrists mm. that are then attached to the cables. Yes, so if you yes. can picture it, as you're doing a dumbbell press, you lose tension as you come to the top, yes. which is, you know, 
Whereas with a cable fly, you have no tension at the bottom and you get maximum tension as you come to the top. So essentially what you're doing is overlapping these two different strength curves of the exercises into one exercise. So at the bottom, you're getting maximum resistance on the dumbbells, none on the cables. As you come to the top, it overlaps and then you lose the dumbbell tension and you get maximum tension on the um, cables as you come to the top. Yeah, so you yeah. kind of... I've seen people use obviously bands, but then then because the bands lose their resistance at the bottom, but you're kind of keeping tall tension through dumbbells and the cables. Yeah, exactly. I think when you put it together, the the result is just phenomenal, and uh, oh. your pecs get no tension or no break in tension, I should say. So you can do continuous, like true continuous tension training for the chest with that exercise combo. Mm, that and of course, I took it to another level and I added in chains at one point too. <laughs> sounds fucking disgusting. You're an absolute weirdo. I love it. Oh yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's a. You just fucking stay up at night thinking of this shit. Like you, you just see, you just wake up and go, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, like I'll be walking my dogs down the street and then something crazy will come up with me. Like I gotta do that tonight. That's just insane. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody should do that, so I'm gonna do it. So. Um, it was something we must talk about at some stage because it's coming up close to. I have to wrap this up soon, but we're definitely gonna get it back on. But something we'll talk about is like the experiments that went fucking tits up. Yeah, well, that, uh, they'll never try that one again. Yeah, oh, I've had a few of those. Yeah, yeah, I think we've all had a few of those in, in training. But, uh, all right, with regards to the, the shoulders, what, what would you, what do you like there? And I suppose, again, if, if we want to get into good detail, there's obviously the, the three different parts of it. But, so how would you go about shoulder training? My absolute favorite one for shoulders is a handstand push-ups. Oh, really? Absolutely. Um, the, the best results I ever got from my shoulder training was doing, uh, Kind of like a grease the roux kind of system where I did handstand push-ups yeah, twice a day. Yeah, every I, heard, day. I heard you say this. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep going. Yeah, and, and literally, so every day, twice a day, I would just do one set to failure of handstand push-ups, and I went from being able to do zero reps and basically just doing negatives to doing a set of forty reps within just a few months. And uh, uh, strict, my, strict, strict enough for a little bit of kipping, and even if it was kipping, so. no, no kipping whatsoever. Just straight, straight leg up, and it was against the wall. It wasn't freestanding, but oh, it was yeah, just straight yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, still, yeah, though. straight up and down, forty reps. Yeah, just hammering the reps out, and it carried over completely to my uh, dumbbell shoulder press. You know, I was pressing hundred pound dumbbells for five sets of five to seven reps, and you know, that's for somebody who was weighing like. That was more than I was weighing at the time doing dumbbell press with those, so it was, it was pretty darn good. So such that's, a, that's such an one. such an unnatural position, though, isn't it? Like a handstand. Like in terms of thinking about like evolution, even like it's so unnatural. It is, yeah, and uh, it's really kind of weird the first time you do them to kind of get comfortable with it. But once you do, it's it's phenomenal exercise, definitely. Uh, but uh, would recommend. It's funny, just just as I say that, like just as I said, handstands are unnatural. The whole fucking strength game is unnatural. Like think about like. When yeah. when in evolution do we just like fucking exercise the absolute exhaustion? You know, like obviously if our ancestors came, they're like, "What are you doing? You, you're crazy, yeah. man! If you don't get food, and you're wasting all that energy." And the, yeah, exactly, it's like what you didn't even catch anything. Why did you run? <laughs> Why did you lift that so many times? It was so unnecessary. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so then, yeah, the back. The back is a big, and some of the, I think what I'd love to get you on to maybe another time, Nick, is maybe talk about the flaws and excuses. So uh, if we ever got a chance to meet up, I'd love, love maybe for you to take me to back work is probably, I love training my back now, um, mm. but I definitely know I could be doing it better. I think a lot of people struggle to feel their back in a lot of exercises. So what, what's your favorite back developers anyway? You know, one of the biggest keys that I found with back training, especially if you have trouble feeling your back working is you need to breathe backwards mm. is um, 
if you think about like the best example is a pull down. If you're doing a pull down, normally, normally people say, you know, exhale on the exertion, right? If you do that for back training, you're doing it completely wrong and you're going to be putting your back in a bad position to contract. What you actually need to do is inhale on the exertion when you're doing back training. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, hold it, put your hands up like you're doing a pull down. Yeah. Inhale, take a deep breath and really puff your chest out. Because it expands the rib cage, is that why? Expands the rib cage, puts your lats in the perfect position to contract. So as you're inhaling and sucking it in and really pulling your chest up to meet the bar, as though you're trying to pull yourself out of the seat and inflating your lungs as much as you can, mm. your lats will have no choice but to contract. And that's that's literally the biggest tip I can give somebody who has a hard time feeling their back working is just to breathe opposite to what you've probably been taught over the years with I back have, training. With I have some neutral grip chin of swear. I still try that. Yeah, with chins, with rows, with uh, any sort of pull downs. Not so much with deadlifts because it's a different kind of movement. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, absolutely, with the pull downs and the chins and the rows, give that a try. It'll make a huge difference. I don't. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts there on deadlifts. A lot of people say this. I wouldn't recommend deadlifts as a great back build. Like they're an unreal strength builder. But the fact that you know, so if we're talking like traditional dead stop deadlift, where you lift it and you're not lowering it, you're just kind of like letting it fall to the ground. That wouldn't to me be like the best, like, m- like, you know, Pacific muscle developer. Like, it's an unreal fucking, uh, strength. Now, don't get me wrong, you're, if you're dead a lot of weight, you ain't gonna be a small man either. But yeah. I suppose, like, you know, if you're not essentially lowering that bar down, and that'd be more so for athletes and hamstrings. But a lot, a lot of people, I know a lot of guys would say that they would prefer, like, Pacific, you know, training towards backers and rows and chins and stuff and trying to make that thing grow. Yeah, I think it's kind of a combination that's oh, really yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. like you need to do you need to do the heavy deadlifts to really absolutely, build the, the muscle and the structural stuff, but they also set up the capability of your body to build muscle using those other movements like the rows and stuff. So I think you do need both, but you're right on the money with uh, not having much tension, continuous tension when you're doing deadlifting. Like if somebody does a heavy a set of deadlifts, you know, three or four reps, if they're doing you know decently heavy weight, they might get like a total of 10 seconds of time under tension if they just set the bar down each time. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not continuous either, but uh, if you use that loading and then those muscles are kind of pre-exhausted for the rowing, then you can really um, yeah. dip in and really make use of that. Yes. And you can also do continuous tension deadlifts as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's almost a, like the heavy stuff's almost a potentiation. And just get, getting into that then, maybe we'll wrap up on this too is, you know, okay, we've, a lot of stuff with Brad Schoenfeld and like you know the mechanisms of hypertrophy. So you have this mechanical tension, which seems mm. which seems to be induced by like you know a lower rep range done for more accumulated done for more sets, so you accumulate the volume. Then you have your metabolic stress, which is more your traditional like moderate sort of higher rep ranges done for sort of moderate sets and reps. You know your more traditional bodybuilding, and then sort of uh, you have then the overall muscle damage. So those me- the main mechanisms seem to be mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and overall muscle damage. Um, and sort of, I'll tell you, like, the way I've always kind of liked to design my hypertrophy-type programs, and it's funny because I heard John Meadows speak, and I met John, and he designs them very similar to me. I always kind of like to start off my, my main lift as, you know, basic compound-type movement, strength builder, you know. So let's say mm-hmm. if, if, if we were training four days a week, it might be a squat and deadlift on the two, on the two lower days, and then it might be a, a, like a, a bench and a weighted chin-up or a bench and a military in the upper day, something maybe like that. Just an example, um, and I understand you can put deadlifts on, on an upper body back day as well, but just saying if you're doing two upper two lower, and usually I would have those main movements in between three and six reps, 
and I would usually try to accumulate anywhere from like maybe 20 to 40 total reps. But that mm-hmm. was, that would be quote unquote sort of the mechanical stuff. And then I'd use more of my assistance and supplementary stuff as the more like targeted, you know, traditional pump, more metabolic. So basically what I'm saying is I kind of like to have mechanical and metabolic within the one session. I know some people, they might do like a mechanical session day. And then the next session could be like a more metabolic day. Do you mm. take any sort of approach like that? Like, do you still like to hit a big main move and then hit all the kind of, all the sort of like more sub assisted supplementary stuff? Or would you break it up maybe to more of a strength day or first day? You know, it's funny because that would be something that I would change pretty constantly. Um, if, a, if it's a program I've designed, I would mm. probably tend to focus on just one aspect of it per day. You know, like focus on just, um, because I like to do a lot of high frequency approaches. Yes, yes. So I would do like just compound movements one day and then maybe just um specific strength nice. another day. Like that. So it's yeah, you know, and that might change the following week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no, again no, I, I appreciate yeah. that because I've even yeah. that's another thing I come up with is like, well, why does that have to be either or again? Like why not do block a trend where you have a heavy lift and then it's all your pumps up? And why not have yeah. one where it's like strength and pumps up in different days? Again, because it's like Louis Simmons, he's like, when your body thinks it has all the answers, you need to start asking different questions. Yep, exactly. So, Nick, I'm just going to wrap up here because basically i got to eat and go to bed. I'm starving. Um, <laughs> that's a bit of i will definitely have you back on. I mean, this time suits, we can shoot again next week and we can get a part two. And I'd fucking love to have you come on to the podcast as much as you can because I could, I could talk with you all day, pal. Oh, you know, I know you're traveling anyway, so we'll, 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 we'll chat about it afterwards anyway. Yeah, um, absolutely. But just wrapping up here, a few quick more sort of fire round ones. What would you say have been the biggest lessons you've learned so far in your career? Maybe like your top three. Uh, I think the, the biggest, by far the biggest one is to have fun in your training. Nice. You know, to absolutely enjoy what you're doing and to not let it become a, a, a basically a drag. And unless you enjoy the grind, which sometimes I do. So, And I think that the second one is to always be learning. You know, never think that you know everything. Never think that you can't learn from everybody out there. Some things, at least, even if it's what not to do, you know. And uh, the other thing is always be humble, nice. you know. Always, always, you know, be willing to listen to other people and to treat people how you'd want to be treated with respect. So that's, those are the, those are the things, basically, the, yeah. The, the golden rule, as they say, isn't it? Treat others like you want to be treated. But then Absolutely. I always say, then I always say, what if I want to be treated like a piece of shit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, fucking, uh, it's fun. just on that when you said the first thing, have fun. Just, just to let people know, right? Dan Fast, who just emailed me there, actually. Dan, I don't know if you know that Dan Fast one of the most decorated track field coach of all time, um, and a mentor of mine and a brilliant human being. And like he was asked one time by someone, what is the most important thing when it comes to training world class athletes? And that was his answer: have fun. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, every, and, and everyone was like, "What? Well, like, is it not like serious? And like, you know, we're talking about like all that. We're talking like gold medal athletes, contracts, millions of dollars. It's like, if they ain't having fun, none of that shit's happening." Yeah, it's right on the money. That's my total belief too. Uh, your top advice to all of the listeners now, and, and this can be anything, Nick. So it doesn't have to be just training advice. It can be like life advice. It can be anything at all. Their spiritual device or device, excuse me, adv- <laughs> advice or whatever. Like it can be anything. Your top advice. I suppose you kind of said there, treat others are going to treat. But is there anything else like you know, like, like meditate? You know, take your partner out, tell your partner you love them more. Like journal gratitude. Is there any of that stuff you like? Um, the, the golden rule pretty much is the biggest thing for me. It's and you know, it's 
try to have patience and try to see things from the other person's perspective mm, because you don't nice. know the struggles that they're going through. Absolutely. It's funny you say that because I interviewed a guy called Ken Kanakin and he told me about this ad that used to be on years ago on, on TV. Um, and I don't know if it, Ken is up in Canada, so I don't know if it was Canadian-American TV. Or is he in Canada? Maybe? Yeah, no, he's in Canada because he runs the Swiss, the Swiss conference. Um, and he was saying that it was basically an ad to do with like mental health and it was like these two people walking on the road and like one person banged at the other and they were like, you know, watch where you're going. And the other person's like, oh, God, that person's a bit of an asshole. But then it was like, then these kind of speech bubbles above their head came and it's kind of like my mother just died of cancer. It's like, I just broke up with my boyfriend kind of thing. And it's kind of like neither of them knew what was going on in their lives. So exactly like you said, you never know what's going on in the background. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, then your top resources, Nick. Now, and again, with resources, these can be anything. These can be a book, a podcast, an audio book, program, seminars, an individual person. Uh, and they don't have to be limited to training. It can be, again, stuff to do with life, spirituality. Like, I don't care what you name here, the fucking Bible, the Quran. I couldn't care less. What what was your, your top resources? Um, the places that I go to, I, I tend to, I like Elite FTS. They have really good training information on their site. That's a good Bible um, right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, got massive respect for those guys. Yeah. And, um, I, there's some good stuff on T Nation. Nice. Um, sometimes not so much, sometimes really good stuff. The old stuff uh, was, was good. Like, the, like, you know, maybe like the early to mid 2000s or some golden shit there. It's gotten a bit like, uh, advertising now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of like when, when an article is designed for nothing more than to plug a product, then, you know, that's, that's one thing, but, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, you can find a lot of really good, uh, training gems on there. There's a lot of really good trainers who publish stuff on there. So and your own website's a great one too. So make sure you plug that. So where can people find out more about you? Nick? Uh, my main site right now is fitstep.com. That's F I T S T E P.com. I'm also working on a, a different site that has, that's going to have more of my advanced stuff on it. And that'll be uh, madscientistofmuscle.com. Great. So, and like on, like there's a ton of free shit on that. Like it's like when you yeah. sent me the link the other day, I was like, holy fuck. And then I was listening to, again, one of those podcasts, you were like, you had seven, like over like 700 pages of notes and you put like a lot of those ideas out on online. And do you have a membership site or digital membership site or an inner circle? Or? I do. I do. Yeah. I've got a membership site, uh, powerfultrainingsecrets.com. And I've got probably about 1400 pages of exercises and yeah, programs and workouts and stuff on there. Again, uh, so what I'll do is I'll get onto you after this, send me those links and I'll put them in the show notes for this episode. Um, sure. so, so yeah, sorry, I kind of cut, cut you off there again. I'm, and I'm re- something I'm to try to work on. I'm terrible at So you had elite FTS, uh, and you had the team nation forms. Is there any other resources you like? Is there, what, what would be your top training books or your favorite books or, and we, something we never talked about today was nutrition. That's something I really want to talk to you about in the next episode. Hmm. Um, as far as training books, you know, one of the biggest influences I had in my training was uh, one of those Arnold Schwarzenegger encyclopedia of a bodybuilder kind of thing. The yeah. education of a education of a bodybuilder that was that was a good one. Um, as far as training books go, you know, I've got a lot of. There's just so many that I don't really um, have any particular one at the moment that jumps out at me. Hmm. But um, what, you know, I, I think, uh, what 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 are you currently reading right now? Um, it's not even just a training book. It's a J.R.R. Tolkien book. It's a yeah, yeah. Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings book. Yeah, it's it's one of his earlier ones. It's kind of absolutely. Yeah, I'm all for yeah. that. Yeah, I'll tell you a name. That's the, yeah. I love I love reading shit like that as well. That's that yeah. stuff. That stuff makes the brain creative, man. Like, who, does, who, who knows? Yeah. That stuff could open up the brain for you to be walking down the road without the dog again and say, oh, 
What about that exercise? You know, a bit more creativity, more maybe some neurons wired a different way in your head, and then you, you get some more creativity. It's everything's linked, like everything's fucking. Oh yeah, so I know something's definitely wired differently in my brain. So. <laughs> oh de- yeah, I can tell that. But that's that's why you that's why you get on with the likes of Israel and Pat Davidson there, and myself. We're all fucked up. We're all crazy bastards in a good way. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. In a good way, yeah. Finally, I'm gonna ask this big question, alright? So, right, Nick, I fucking, I'm in Chicago. You're in Chicago, aren't you? Yep. Alright, so I'm in Chicago. I'm like, Nick, I'm in town. Like, right, I'm gonna bring you to dinner. You can bring five people, and guess what? I've got magic powers tonight. They can be dead or alive. I can bring them back. It's gonna take a lot of smelling salts, but we'll get it done. Uh, so if you could invite five people to dinner, Nick, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Uh, that's a good question. It is a good question. That's why I have it on the show. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? Can I answer that one next time? Absolutely. You can think about it. Make yeah. sure you, make sure you do come back up. You know, that's all. Absolutely, man. I, I definitely will have a good time here. So. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, listen, this is an absolute whopper podcast with Nick. And you know me, I could go on for three or four hours, but it is half eight here in Dublin. I should have had my dinner. And go for a little walk as well and do like all the crazy shit I do because we're all weirdos that have our own idiosyncrasies. Um, and I gotta get this blue light off the laptop. But And the laptop held up, Nick. The laptop, just for the listeners, shot the bed right as we were going online and I had to reboot it now, but it seems to go to. And did the Skype car stay on? It did. Fuck. It did. I just joked with you, Nick. Ah. <laughs> all the listeners there were laughing. Ah. Um, no, that's brilliant stuff. So, guys, as I say at the end of every show, uh, if you can help by sharing at the podcast and share, and like if you haven't heard Nick before, go to his website, check it out. Um, I'm gonna put all those resources online, and you'll you'll see more of them. And like, uh, it's an absolute pleasure speaking to you, man. Again, it's like I love speaking to other people. Like, like with Zach Evans and it's just, we're brothers from other mothers. Like, it's like uh, it's like this like unspeakable love that the iron has like that helps grow spiritually these people and we just already had this connection straight away so it's a brotherhood yep yeah it's a brotherhood slash sisterhood yeah exactly a sisterhood too don't forget about the sisters either some yep, strong yep. sisters out there absolutely all right so guys thanks for listening uh, as i say to you as i always say at the end of the episode take care i will talk to everyone soon and stay strong mm-hmm.